0: We're joined by T- Paul Delaney, who is 640 Toronto's astronomy and space exploration expert. Paul, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Kelly. The reason I reached
0: out to you was I saw the story that a private satellite tracking company believes that two satellites uh, that are decommissioned are in danger of colliding on Wednesday night. That's tonight. So it's timely. Um, can you give us the specifics on you know these satellites and, and why they're possibly going to collide?
1: Sure. The, um, the closest approach of these two satellites is about 6.39 p.m. this evening, so around the dinner hour. Uh, the chance of them hitting, they're estimating it to be somewhere between 1 in 100, 1 in 1,000. So it, it, there's no guarantee. But this is actually a very high probability for satellite collisions. Uh, the two satellites in question, one of them dates all the way back to 1967, uh, and we'll talk about the time here in just a second because that's an important variable when we talk about space junk. So 1967. It's been decommissioned. It was uh, a a naval spy satellite of some description. (laughs) Beyond that, I don't know much about it. Uh, But the other one is uh, actually an astronomy satellite. It was the first infrared astronomical satellite that we ever launched into space. Uh, And that was back in about 1983. It, too, is uh, defunct operated for about nine months. Perhaps the biggest point about these two satellites is their size. The the IRAS satellite is over a ton. So it's a really big satellite, and I get the impression, even though it's hard to tell uh, that the, uh, the uh, GGSE satellite, that's the naval spy satellite, uh, is also sizable. So if these two do in fact collide at significant speed, then you're talking about uh, shrapnel in every direction, thousands of small pieces that will be scattered across low Earth orbit. And that's the real danger here. It's not so much the collision itself, it's the fallout from the collision and all the small pieces that now could literally run into a myriad of other satellites lights that you and I use on a, a daily basis. So this
0: isn't really about uh, them falling the pieces falling to the earth. It's about them interfering with us being able to use our smartphones potentially
1: yes correct everybody reaches for their phone, but yes you're right weather satellites communication satellites Uh, think of the uh, the the Starlink internet system that SpaceX is putting together all that stuff is in low earth orbit let's not forget the International Space Station okay Mm. so you know there's a lot of human literally human activity in low earth orbit some of this shrapnel if it happens will obviously fall to earth but the vast majority will not these satellites are up around about 900 kilometers uh, which is why they have not de-orbited since they've gone defunct. They're too high to be dragged down by the Earth's atmosphere in any reasonable time frame. So this debris will be the same. It will be scattered across a myriad of orbits, low Earth orbits. Eventually, most of it will come to Earth, but we're talking about decades to centuries.
0: Paul, I'm scratching my head because I am not a scientist, as we know, but uh, I would assume that when they launch these satellites, they have the orbit and the specifics of the orbit. How is it even possible that they don't cross check the orbit before they launch another one and uh, they don't we never run into a situation where they could potentially collide?
1: The issue here really is time. So back in 1967, the idea of space junk and cleaning up our act, so so to speak, wasn't on anybody's agenda. And arguably, it's still not high on our agenda, which is really unfortunate because we need to be a whole lot more aware of this sort of situation. So they just left it there, so so to speak. Okay, so it's going round and around and around. Its orbit does gently change with time. And so when they launched the IRAS satellite in 1983, I'm sure they were aware of the position of this other satellite. But at that point in time, the imminent possibility of them colliding was really, really, really remote. So it's not in exactly the same orbit. But when you then project forward in time, these, just let's grab these two, thirty, forty, 30, 40, and in this case, what is it, 47 years now? thirty seven years sorry uh you now do have the possibility of a collision. Nobody is projecting that far ahead in the future, and these orbits do subtly change with time uh so you know it's it's just not enough care and attention, if you will, to the long term process of watching these satellites go around in Earth orbit.
0: Is it just a matter of time until we have a collision? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't make me feel any safer. Okay, here's my next question. How long till Elon Musk and the maker of Dyson, I don't even know his name is Paul Dyson, but I think he's got to be alien or something like that because I think his technology (laughs) is fantastic and not anything that we've had on this earth before. How long until Dyson and Musk team up to create a space vacuum?
1: Well, I hope it's sooner than later. I really do. There is a lot of effort being put in primarily by the private sector to try and establish a cost-effective way to clean up our act. Uh, you know, the analogy with our oceans is a good one. You know, yeah. We've been plying the oceans for long periods of time, and only in the last sort of few decades have we thought about the crap that we're throwing in, am I allowed to say that on radio? Sure. The stuff that we're throwing into the oceans, and now we're becoming a little bit, but not completely, more aware of the problems that we're, we're generating. The same thing is happening in Earth orbit. There are 60 spacefaring nations who have the capability of, of lofting stuff into orbit, or at least can buy their way into throwing stuff into Earth orbit. If we're not a whole lot more careful about the space debris that we are generating up there, that is, you know, dead satellites, we are going to have the sort of situation that we've got tonight happening more and more frequently. And eventually, there are going to be enough collisions in Earth orbit, low Earth orbit, that the shrapnel will sort of have this chain reaction knock-on effect, uh, because they're just creating so many more small little bullet-type particles that could really, you know, as I say, puncture a space station. If you've got a space hotel up there, which is coming in probably in the next 10 years, I don't want my room to be deflated by some of this space junk. So we've got to find a way to solve the problem. Whether or not it's going to be SpaceX, Dyson, or whoever, there is a lot more attention being given to this problem.
0: How much space junk would would you imagine we have flying around up there? Give us an idea.
1: Hundreds of thousands of pieces. And how big would those pieces be? That's right. That's that's the cutoff point. If you're talking about, say, a few centimeters in size, hundreds of thousands of pieces. If you're talking meters in size, are probably only tens of thousands. But you know, if you've got a, a piece that's say two or three centimeters, and it's going in an orbit that intersects your satellite, moving at 25,000 kilometers an hour, that's a phenomenal amount of kinetic energy. That's a that, bullet. That's right. Exactly. That's the point. Wow. That's why you don't want all the small stuff. So hundreds of thousands of pieces. If you go down to the small size, that really could cause a problem, especially to a vehicle, you know, like the International Space Station or a space hotel.
0: It could knock out computer networks.
1: Absolutely, no could, question in the world.
0: That could do a lot to banking. That could do a lot to, you know, so many different systems that we use. <laughs>
1: Perhaps the only silver lining here is that things like GPS and most of our main telecommunication satellites—they're out of geostationary orbit. They're around about thirty-five thousand kilometers from the surface of the Earth. They're out of range of these types of collisions. Uh, but not everything is up there. You know, there's a lot of stuff, particularly our weather satellites and our cell phone communications, the internet providing uh, providers. They've got the stuff in low Earth orbit, and that's, as I say, where the danger lies for this type of collision.
0: Paul. It's always fascinating having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: I will be more upbeat next time, Kelly. I'm sorry. I'm
0: <laughs> You're always upbeat. And it's funny because sometimes we're talking about very bleak things and you got a smile on your face. But, you know, you, hey. You got
1: it. We keep an eye on it. And we try to educate.
0: I really appreciate your time, Paul. Thanks so much. Take care, Kelly. Cheers. Bye. Paul Delaney, 640 Toronto's astronomy and space exploration expert. Of course, you know, he is also a member of the Faculty of Science at York University.